All right. Well, if you can begin making your way back to your seats. And as you do, grab your Bibles. Head on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If, uh, if you've been tracking with us, you know that we're in the book of 1 Corinthians right now. And that we have been taking the year 2019 to work ourselves through this book. And we now find ourselves in chapter 12. And chapters 12, 13, and 14 are three chapters in this letter that deal with spiritual gifts. And what should take place in the church. How the church is to think about them. How we are not to think about them in some sense. And just what are we to do with spiritual gifts. And so we are slowly making our way through these three chapters um, at a much slower pace than we have done the other sections of this book. But that is in part because I I want us to try to have some clarity along the way. Um, Because existing within the church, both in America and perhaps around the world, there's a lot of disagreement about what spiritual gifts are, what they are not, what we're to do with them, how we're to think about them. And so we're trying to work through some of those details along the way. And this morning, our text will be verses 8 to 11, and we're just going to seek to begin to give definition now to each of the gifts. I've done so almost casually for a gift or two along the way over the last three, four weeks, Um, but that was just more in passing. Today we're going to give some definitions, and uh, today might feel a little bit more like a college class. Um, or, or, a, or a school setting where we're just working through a vocabulary list. Um, and that's just part of the nature of trying to give some definitions to these. Um, but hopefully it's not dry and boring like some college classes might be. So we'll have to see what takes place with that. But over the last several weeks we've been trying to lay down some, some foundation stones of, uh, of how we're to understand what spiritual gifts are, what spiritual gifts are not. Are they for today? Are they not for today? How do we as the church today understand and interact and relate to this instruction that Paul gives here. He gives similar instruction in Romans 12. He writes about spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4. Peter talks about them in his first epistle. Um, And so how do we make sense of all of this? So let's just recap briefly these foundation stones. The very first week, the foundation stone that we laid first was uh, the, the, the The fact that spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. Those are both things. They're just not the same thing. Signs and wonders was something the Lord did through the apostles and three other men for a very very specific reason. And signs and wonders were used to authenticate the message of the gospel and the messenger and God bore witness, Hebrews 2.4, to the gospel in part through signs and wonders, but that was limited to a group of people. Those were the apostles and Philip, Barnabas, 
and Stephen. Signs and wonders are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. We just need to be careful with our language and our terminology in using the right terms to describe the right things. And so that's part of what we needed to focus on, that first foundation stone. Secondly, we looked at that the, the purpose of spiritual gifts are given for disciple-making or for the building up of the body. The word building is a word that Paul uses throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians a lot. He uses it to refer to our call. The, 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 the task that the Lord has given to us. And then he uses it to refer to the giftings that then we have been given. There's a point to our spiritual gifts. There's a purpose to our spiritual gifts. And those are for building. So God gifts us to do what he calls us to do. There's something significant there where God has given us the responsibility. He has called us to a task, but he supplies and empowers what we need to be able to faithfully and obediently follow him in doing that. Jesus used the word making disciples in Matthew 28. Those are the same big ideas. So as we try, have tried to clarify excuse me, our mission as a church to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples, that's this idea of building. And we believe that God has given every one of us believers gifts to build and serve the body of Christ. You at least have one gift. You may have more than one gift. Nobody has all the gifts. And God chooses who gets what gift what the place of service those gifts are used in, and what the results are as the gifts are used. Week three, the third foundation stone we tried to lay down was just this question of how do we, how do we discern and determine who we should follow? And Paul acknowledges that there is, there, there, there's, there's some question to that. And he writes about it in verse 3 of chapter 12, speaking of the differences of those who are filled with the Spirit, who are indwelt by the Spirit, and who speak from the Spirit, and those who don't. And there exists, even today, in the church perhaps, but certainly through the world, there exists counterfeits. There exists what Jesus would call false apostles and false prophets. Paul refers to them in 2 Corinthians as well as false apostles. We need to be careful who we follow. We need to be careful what books we read. We need to be careful whose influence we place ourselves under. It's not just enough to see somebody operating perhaps with miracles or casting out demons or prophesying. It's not just enough if they're a good speaker or they've got charisma. It's not just enough for those things to be true. There needs to be a, an acknowledgement and a submission to God's word. We tried to walk through some of just even the, 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 the ways that I try to evaluate who's worth following and not. And that was that third foundation stone. Last week we then looked at as we began to inch our way even closer to defining the gifts, uh, the, the variety that exists in the gifts that the Lord gives to the church and how in that variety there is sovereignty 
There's sovereignty over the variety where the different gifts that exist and the different individuals who have been given different gifts have been given those gifts because they're the gifts the Lord wants you to have. There's sovereignty over that. There's unity within the gifts that none of the gifts are to ever be in competition to one another. But then there's purpose amid the gifts. Again, a reminder that these gifts are given for the building up of the body. You have not been given a gift for you. You've been given a gift for someone else. And we've been reminded of that in verses 4 to 7 as well. We'll see that again. Those big ideas emerge back into the text this morning in verses 8 to 11. So here's what we're going to try to do. I'm going to pray here shortly and we're going to begin looking at this list of gifts and we're going to define some terms along the way. And uh, as we do, we're going to try to make sense of what the gifts are. I'm going to try to work real hard at not just telling you what the gifts are not. In some ways, it's a little easier to say what the gifts are not than what they are, and that's in part because when the Apostle Paul writes this letter and he leads off with, to some have been given an utterance of wisdom, he doesn't go on to say, and this is what that gift is. He just says it's an utterance of wisdom, and the implication there is that the Corinthians knew what he was talking about, and we've got some work to do perhaps to figure out what he was talking about, and so... um, What he writes in the letter of 1 Corinthians is incredibly helpful. What he writes elsewhere is incredibly helpful. What the rest of the scriptures contain is incredibly helpful. But in some ways, it's easier to identify what the gifts aren't than what they are. But we're going to try to work real hard at trying to identify what they are along the way. And so I just want to ask you if you would do me a, a favor this morning. And that would be write down questions that you have. Write down things that perhaps are not clear or perhaps are confusing because I'm very aware of the fact that some of the definitions that I will give are not definitions that perhaps you've heard before. They might be different than definitions that other ministries would would give. Now, whether that's one that would say all the the gifts have ceased or whether that would be more of a charismatic bent that would define them in different ways, I'm aware of that and trying to plow a middle road, if you will, um, between some of these different perspectives. And so I just want to be... I want to be mindful of that and I want to ask you to just help me figure out what maybe wasn't clear. Or what questions come to your mind. And so um, if you can write them down and at some point either today or through this week or next week, email them to me, give them to me, text them to me, whatever works. That would provide some tremendous feedback for me um, as we go and continue to work our way through this. Um, And so that would be helpful I want to say this real briefly and then we will pray and hop into the list because time is short and the list, it, it, it's, it's lengthy. A um, couple other big ideas. Not every action that God does needs to be explained with a spiritual gift. It's just kind of a point to keep in mind. God's free to do whatever God wants to do. 
And so the actions of God, we don't always have to put into a category and say, oh, God did this, this must be that. And I think we can err sometimes in seeing God work in a way, but then kind of forcing it into a gift because we believe that every action of God has to have a spiritual gift attached to it. And I'm not sure it does. And so as we go through this, I, I just want to acknowledge that there exists beyond our understanding, beyond certainly our control, a creator and sustainer of the universe who is free to do whatever he wants to do. And his actions may at times not fit the categories that we have that he's even given to us. And I think that's okay. And so in trying to define the gifts, I want us to be careful that we don't try to bring our experiences or what we've read or what we've heard into the list and force them to be. God's free to do what he wants to do. And then here's the other big idea, and we'll kind of weave this in and throughout. God's people are called to obey his word and what he has called us to, regardless if we're gifted in that way or not. Let me give you a couple examples. There is a gift of evangelism. Every one of us, though, is called to evangelize. There's a gift of generosity. However, every one of us is called to be generous. There's the, the, the command and the example that Jesus teaches his disciples and gives them for his people to pray bold prayers. I think every one of us is called to pray boldly for God to do what we can't and more than we can ask and imagine. But there are some gifted for healing and miracles and we'll define those and walk through those. And so what I, what I mean by that guardrail is that just because it may not be your gift doesn't mean you still don't have to be obedient. And God's called us to things, he's called all of us to things that he may not have gifted you spiritually in this sense for, but you're still called to do it. So evangelism might not be your gift, but you still are commanded to share the gospel. And some are gifted to do so, and God works through them in ways that he doesn't work through me. But it doesn't mean I'm off the hook when it comes to evangelism. So let's pray. We'll go to verse 8, and then we'll try to work our way through the list here. Well, God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, not my words, but yours. God, we pray that you'd give clarity, that as we seek to define these gifts, that you would, you would help us to see and understand. God, we want to we follow you well. We want to not go beyond what you've said in your word. God, we want to be those who obediently follow the call to make disciples, to build up the body. We want to be those who strive to excel 
in building up the body. God, help us to see how you gift those in your body for that purpose. And perhaps even maybe how you have gifted us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to verse 8. Let's just read 8 to 11 here together. And we'll make some general observations that's going to sound a lot like last Sunday's sermon. And then we're going to hop in and start defining some terms. Paul writes, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he Wills. I think in these verses, if we just generally make some observations, we again see sovereignty, unity, and purpose emerge in the list given. And Paul is reinforcing what he wrote in verses 4 to 7 with the words he chooses to write with in verses 8 to 11. And so there is the word in verse 8, given. It's the same word he uses in verse 7. It's written in the same form. It's a passive. So God's doing something to you. God's doing something to me. God is giving. We're not looking. We're not working. We're not trying to unlock. We don't need to release. God is giving. And he is given to his people gifts. God's at work. There is sovereignty over the gifts. But there is unity within the gifts and they are all supernatural. That is a huge point that we need to just keep reminding ourselves because I don't think it's one the church has done a great job uh, reminding us of historically because often we have a tendency to put the gifts in a supernatural category over here and a natural category over here. And we think of maybe the, the guy who's gifted or the lady who's gifted to study God's word and write commentaries explaining what God has written in his word as having perhaps the gift of knowledge, but that feels a little bit more natural than perhaps healings or miracles, which might look a little bit more spectacular or the word we've been using have a little bit more flair. But verse 11 tells us that all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Every gift is supernatural. Every gift is miraculous. We have to resist the temptation to divide them into natural and supernatural categories. They are all supernatural. And there is unity among them. And so as Paul writes in verses 8 to 11, he uses the word same a lot. He uses the word spirit a lot. He uses the word one a lot. He uses the word another a lot. And the point exists to just reinforce and reaffirm there is no distinction between the gifts as it relates to their unity 
There is distinction in the gifts as it relates to what they are, perhaps where they're used and the results that come of their use, but it is not that some people have a little bit more spirit than the other people because some gifts are more spectacular or have a little bit more flair than others. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions or distributes as he wills. So let's think through the first gift then, the utterance of wisdom. It's those gifted with the ability to practically apply biblical knowledge. You might say that they put the cookies on the bottom shelf and they help other believers and even perhaps those they may witness to understand how to obey God. Paul uses the word wisdom 17 different times in 1 Corinthians and does so to often contrast wisdom of the world with what is godly wisdom. Now here's another one of those instances where you may not have the gift of the utterance of wisdom, but you're called to be wise as God defines wisdom. And so there exists a wisdom in the world which will run contrary to the wisdom of God. Paul has written about that frequently in chapters 1 to 4. There are some, though, gifted with the utterance of wisdom. That word utterance is a word that just refers to communication. It's the Greek word logos. It's the word used to describe Jesus. In the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, Word, was the Word, or is the Word, Logos. It's a way to refer to Jesus. It's a way to refer to communication. It is God revealing and speaking. And so you might have heard this gift referred to at times as a word of wisdom, or the next one, a word of knowledge. It just refers to communication. It could be written, it could be verbal, it could be whatever. I mean, certainly as communication forms further develop in our culture, it might look a little different today than it did back in and when Paul wrote this. But it's the idea of those being gifted with the ability to practically apply biblical knowledge. We're all called to be wise. We're all called to practically apply the scriptures. But some are gifted by the Holy Spirit to do so. And they help us unpack and understand. This is, this is one of the gifts, and I want to give you a caution here, that uh, sometimes God will call us to follow him in faith by ways that might even appear unwise to us. And it's a place to remind ourselves that God's wisdom is not our wisdom but those gifted to practically apply biblical knowledge. Closely related to that is the utterance of knowledge then. A word of knowledge you might have heard. And I believe this gift is those gifted in learning and studying the scriptures. It's the ability supernaturally to comprehend or intellectually grasp something. Perhaps it is those men and women that write commentaries and teach Bible courses, they're just gifted to do so, but we're all called to learn the scriptures, we're all called to seek to understand the scriptures, there are some however that are gifted 
for it. This is not, in my opinion, the divine ability to know details about some other person. As I said last week, this is not you being able to read somebody else's mail. I think this gift is limited in its scope and focus to learning and studying the scriptures. And one of the foundation pieces of, I think, all of the gifts is that they go back to God's word and they exist, all of them, underneath the sovereignty of God. I plan to give you a caution for each of the gifts. I gave you one for wisdom, that God might call us at times to do things that seem unwise, and he asks us to step out in faith. The gift or the caution for knowledge would just be not everything's knowable. And this, quite frankly, is the essence of faith. It's the conviction of things unseen, that which is hoped for. Not everything is knowable. Second point of caution there is that if we're not careful, Paul makes it very clear that knowledge itself without love can lead to arrogance. And so there may be, there may be an aspect of this gift that can even lead towards arrogance and pride. But knowledge within the context of love is and does build up the body. It's something that we're all called to do. It's something that some are gifted for. The next three gifts are faith, gifts of healings, and workings of miracles. And the only way for us to rightly understand these gifts, and quite frankly every gift, but in particular these gifts, is to do so reminding ourselves that they exist underneath the sovereignty of God. They exist according to his will. He distributes them according to his will. He empowers them according to his will. He chooses where these gifts will be used according to his will. And he gives people these gifts according to his will. That's everything we've been looking at over the last two weeks together. And so let's try to bring some definition. Faith. I believe it's those gifted to trust God and reminds God's people to never forget who he is, nor what he has promised. You might say it's an unquestioning belief in God's power to aid his people. I think people that have the gift of faith, one of their favorite expressions is, but God and you sit down and you talk with them and you perhaps lay out what, what might look to be a very difficult circumstance or a difficult diagnosis or, or a wayward child that you're not sure if they'll ever return or whatever the details are and, and, and it looks bleak. And they're there to say, but God. And they're there to remind you, to remind the church that we've got a God that's bigger and greater than what is difficult and dire. Quite frankly, these people are a tremendous gift to me personally because this is not my gift. I need these people in my life. We need these people in our church. But when I hear these people talk, I find myself going, but wait. And they say, but God, and I want to say, but wait. 
It's part of the reason why I need these people in my life to remind me to take my eyes off of what's in front of me and put my eyes up to focus on God and perhaps not the circumstances. Caution for those of you that may have this gift in your desire to not limit God and what he can do. Be careful to not simply say that God is going to act in the same ways as he has in the past. I think those with this gift often will cite Hebrews 13.8 to say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that verse is absolutely true. But I believe that verse is far more about the character of Jesus than the specific actions of Jesus. So let's remind ourselves the character of God, not, the, not, not perhaps what I might refer to as the empty promises that because God did something in the past, he's going to do it that same way here now. And the actions and ministry of Jesus today are different than they were before he came to earth. They're different than they were when he walked on the earth. So to just simply say the actions of Jesus are the same yesterday, today, and forever, I think overapplies that text. Hebrews 13.8 is about the character of Jesus. It's that we can trust him in and through whatever we face today because of who he is. And so rather than specifically looking at the actions that God has done in the past and declaring that he will do the same things again, I think this gift would rightly focus on the character of God. That his character and who he is will not change and does not change, even though his specific actions may. So let's just be careful there. I mean, let's just give you an example. I mean, God told Gideon to get a bunch of guys with trumpets and surround a camp and blow them and shout. If we're not careful, I, I think we can err at times thinking, well, that's what we're missing. If we would just get trumpets and surround something and begin shouting, that's the secret. I think we need to be a little bit more careful I think in some ways we can look at God's past actions and go, even in the midst of the bleakest moments, when humanly speaking, it appears that there is no way for God's people to come out on top, God is still faithful and will act. And we are called to obey. Those gifted with the gift of faith are those gifted to trust and remind God or God's people of who God is to never forget who he is and what he's promised. The next one, gifts of healings, those gifted by the Holy Spirit to heal. What's on the screen in that heading is a little different than maybe in what's in your Bible. The word gift and the word healing is both a plural. Same thing's true for working of miracles. So this is literally gifts of healings. The next one is literally workings of miracles. There's a double plural that exists there and I think that's significant because I think it is an indication to us that there's no one particular way 
that healing will come about. And there's no particular, one particular way that God will heal. And so we have had these moments here in our church, and they have been recent, where people have come and they've asked the elders to pray for them and to anoint them with oil and, and to ask God to, to do the, the miraculous. And we are glad to do it, and we will boldly do it as you come and ask us to do so. But we're going to pray for three specific things in those moments with you. The first thing that we're going to pray for is just that God would give you the grace of instant healing. That there would be a grace, which is that word gift, that you would, you'd, be, you'd be free from whatever it is that is ailing you. But we're also going to pray that God might bring healing grace to you through medicine. And we're going to encourage you to do everything you can down a medical road. To use the wisdom of doctors and nurses and medical professionals to try to find out what it is that might be the cause. Perhaps what is the cure. We're also going to pray that God might give you sustaining grace through the trial. If that's what he chooses to do. And I think God primarily speaking, will heal in one of those three ways. I've said it before over the last couple weeks, I'll say it again, I do not believe healing is guaranteed this side of heaven. And I would, I would encourage you to be very cautious of anybody who would make such a guarantee. God does heal instantly. He does heal miraculously. He does cause the miraculous to happen. We should boldly pray that he would. But there's no guarantee that he will. Sometimes he heals through medicine. Sometimes he heals through sustaining you in the midst of the trial. And it's sustaining grace that he gives you. When Tobin was having his heart surgery, we were praying like crazy, as many of you were and people all over the place were. But he was having heart surgery. We were taking advantage of the medical community and what was available to us. And God provided us the best of the best. We didn't even realize it when we began to get names of people and get referrals from people. But God was providing for this little guy the best of the best. And I, I will not ever forget sitting in post-op with his surgeon as he told us that we, we, we cut him open and we, we spread his chest open. And we weren't really sure what was going to happen next because as we looked down... His whole chest cavity was just full of scar tissue. We didn't think we were actually going to be able to get after it and, and, and do the surgery and work on his heart. And then he said, you know what? It just magically, he didn't say magically, he just said it just all dissolved. And it just all went away. And it was just clear. And we were able to do what we needed to do. And his surgery was about half the time they told us it was going to be. Let's boldly pray for God to do what only God can do. But let's not give guarantees that God will do it. Because if God hadn't done that, he's still good. He's still who he is. He didn't take a nap that day if that wasn't what he did. But he chose to do it. And praise God he did. The caution here, I think I've already hit on it, be careful to not guarantee that God will. 
And if you think you have this gift, be, be careful to not somehow think that your words provide some sort of magic power that's available. I see that often in the ways these gifts are described, this gift perhaps in particular. Now we pray boldly for God to do what only God can do, and then we trust him in his goodness to do what he should do. The workings of miracles is what is next. Again, it's a double plural. I think it exists to show us, to remind us, to indicate to us that there's no one perhaps miracle that's in view. This one might be a little bit more difficult to define than healings because it could just quite frankly be anything. And So those gifted to call on God to show up and do miraculous things. I think the caution here is that very similarly to the gifts of healings that as we pray boldly for God to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, that as we pray boldly for God to do what only God can do, that we don't err by thinking we have to pray with the right words, in the right place, with the right posture, at the right time. There can be a subtle superstition that can creep into some of these gifts, which I think is incredibly dangerous because it, it, it gives us some sense of control. Oh, well, if I just, if I just wake up early and if I, if I just drive to this location and if I get on my knees and I say the right words at the right time as the sun's creeping up over, you know, whatever it might be, that then God will move. I don't think there's an indication that that's how God works. Let's pray boldly for God to work. If you want to pray on your knees, do so. If you want to wake up early, do so. If you want to go up to High Rock and watch the sunrise, well, you probably wouldn't see it on that side. If you want to be at Otterbein Park and watch the sunrise come over High Rock, do so. But I don't think any one of those things forces God's hand to action. But let's go to him. Let's boldly pray to him. Those who have perhaps the gift of faith or healings or miracles are not in a separate class of Christian category than those who don't. They're not more supernaturally inspired or empowered. All of these gifts, verse 11, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Some of you might be a little bit more spectacular. Some might have a little bit more flair. But all of them are from the one and the same Spirit. Next, you have prophecy. Those gifted to proclaim and explain God's word, and at times receive spontaneous insights from the Holy Spirit. I want to define the second part perhaps a little bit more than the first part, because it might be the part that we're a little bit more uncomfortable with. I couldn't put it all on the screen, because it would have been really tiny. I believe those spontaneous insights are restricted to the 
explanation and application of God's word. Okay, so again, we're not talking about reading somebody's mail here. We're talking about the ability or sometimes how the Holy Spirit just prompts you or gives you a picture in your mind or a thought that you hadn't planned on thinking that's a way to understand and explain and apply God's word. The gift of prophecy is not revelation of the scriptures. New Testament prophecy is similar and yet distinctly different from Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophets spoke and there was judgment if God's people didn't obey them. That is not true for New Testament gifts of prophecy. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. If there are some things that are good to be held fast to, it implies that there are some things that are bad that should not be held. And put them in a maybe category would be the language that I would use. I'd file it in the maybe folder. So there have been times where people have said, you know, I was, I was, I was praying, I was thinking, and this, this picture came to mind, or God reminded me of this verse, or whatever it might be, and oh, oh, thank you. I'm going to file that in the maybe category, and I'm going to spend some time thinking and praying about it. Acts 21, verses 7 through 16, is actually um, a record that Luke gives us of where Philip's daughters, who were prophets, were prophesying as well as Agabus. Paul heard their prophecies, and then he did exactly the opposite. They told him not to go to Jerusalem, and he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And there was no judgment for him to do so. He didn't fall under judgment by God for disobeying these prophecies. It's part of the way we can see that New Testament prophecy is different than Old Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy is going to always have its foundation in God's word. It will be the explanation of God's word. It will be the application of God's word. And there certainly will be times when God just brings something to mind as a way to further understand or explain his word. I, I, I personally kind of struggle with the word spontaneous because I'm that 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 gives us an impression that it's like right here in this moment. But the insights could come in anticipation of a meeting you had. They could come in anticipation of a Sunday school lesson you were teaching. It, it could be in that moment, in that instance. It could be when you were praying for somebody and God brought a verse to mind that you felt compelled to share to them. Here's one of the things that I just would observe from, from just kind of my, my, my history and our fellowship and even growing up in, in some pretty conservative circles is the phrase, the Lord laid it on my heart, is used almost commonly. And we don't really struggle with that phrase at all. And I would just tell you that I think that's the gift of New Testament prophecy. So if you've ever been reading God's word or having a conversation with somebody or praying for something and, and, and the Lord laid it on your heart to share with them a verse or 
to call them or to send them a message or whatever it might have been, I, I think that's this gift. Now, we're a little bit uncomfortable with the word prophecy because of its connection to Old Testament prophecies, perhaps even its abuse. And so if we just want to keep using the phrase, the Lord laid it on my heart, go right ahead. But I think those things are very, very similar. And if somebody said that to you, hopefully you didn't just immediately obey what they said. Hopefully you'd put it in a maybe folder. Thank you. I'll spend some time thinking and praying about that. Lastly, we're not actually going to do tongues this morning. We'll wait till we get to chapter 14, and we'll spend about four weeks there trying to unpack and understand what he says in chapter 14. But the last gift this morning is those gifted to distinguish and evaluate between false spirits and the Holy Spirit, between what is true and what is false. We, at times, will call this the gift of discernment. But as written here, it's the gift of being able to distinguish between spirits. Those who have this gift are are the ones that often see theological error before others. They're the ones that might feel like they're the village idiot in some sense because they're the ones saying no. They're the ones saying danger. They're the ones saying don't go down that road. Perhaps why everybody else is saying this is the latest and greatest and wonderful. If you have this gift, the caution that I would give you would be to work hard at finding ways to balance your gift from the Spirit with the fruit.